You may be seated. Good morning. Our sermon, as was mentioned, is in Romans 8, 28 through 39. We will finish the chapter. Romans 8, 28 through 39. Our sermon title is Salvation is of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your marvelous mercy that you bestowed upon us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we ask you even now in worship, uh, grow us in grace, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, through the preaching of your word. We pray that you would bless it in our midst this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you in need of the joy of the Lord, or a renewed sense of the joy of the Lord? If you are... It very well may have gone away, the loss of the joy of the Lord, due to pride creeping in. Maybe you have begun to live or or think that you are owed God's grace, or that you deserve it somehow. Pride, even if it's just a, a little seed of pride, will slowly erode our gratitude, and it eventually chokes out our joy in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. There are many, many Christians having lost this joy who do a lot of pretending and take years to repent and they don't seek out help and they just hide how broken they really are and how in need of joy they really are in the Lord. They need to come back to their first love. And this might be some of you this morning and you haven't admitted it yet. Robin Williams, probably all of us know uh, his story, said this, All it takes is a beautiful fake smile to hide an injured soul, and they will never notice how broken you really are. Christian, this morning I pray that this wonderful passage about the love of God and Christ binds up your wounds revives you to full spiritual health, since this is a passage that if we truly believe and live in accordance with it, it will restore our joy in the Lord. As the old preacher once said, if this don't ring your bell, your clangor is broke. Or if this don't light your fire, your wood is wet. Those old country preachers have all those good little, little sayings, you know. So our big idea this morning is this. As since God is utterly sovereign in salvation, we must be thankful, assured, and rid of pride. Our outline is, is simple. Uh, the grounds of God's love, point one, and point two, the assurance of God's love. And so let's look to this passage, Romans 8, 28 through 39. Let's first uh, uh, draw our attention to the first three verses, 28 through 30, where we will see here that since salvation is of the Lord, we must never act as, as if we deserve His grace. Our passage begins with a very well-known verse. You've probably uh, heard it quoted many, many times as a Christian. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now remember that Paul has just outlined this tension of the now and not yet nature of salvation. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We are adopted into God's family, and yet we await the fulfillment of all things. We are told uh, prior to this that the Spirit helps us in the present time. 
as we await our inheritance that is to come. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, he says. Even though the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed, verse 18, life is still hard, and God graciously helps us by His Spirit in our weakness. And But the help that we have in this life doesn't stop here. Paul goes on to encourage the Church of Rome with some of the greatest theological truths in all the Bible. Paul will take us to the mountaintop of hope and assurance, encouraging us with just how great and sure God's love really is for His people. In the next few verses, he outlines how this could be, that all things work together for the good of those who love God. And so again, in verse 28, we, we, we learn this. All things work together for our good. What a marvelous statement that no matter what, if you belong to the Lord, you can be assured that the evils that befall you happen for your good. What comfort. It was St. Augustine who said this. He said, God judged it better to bring good out of evil than not to permit any evil to exist. God loves to bring good out of evil so much that He permits evil to exist, is what He's saying. So the context of our passage continues to be suffering in the now, knowing that the glory is to come. And so what we will see more of is a pastor, the Apostle Paul, comforting the flock of God, saying essentially, no matter what you suffer in this life, God is utterly sovereign, working all things for your good, and nothing can separate you from His marvelous love, since salvation is of the Lord. Now in verse 29, it starts off with, for, for those whom He foreknew, could be, you could translate it, because or since. So those whom He foreknew, says he also predestined. Uh, there has been some confusion over the term for, to foreknow, so let's take a moment uh, before we go any further and define this. Generally, when we think of foreknowledge, we think simply of knowing something beforehand. And surely Paul means this, but remember, he is saying that God is foreknowing individuals, not simply something that will take place. And so we must think this through a little bit more. First off, Paul is not saying that God has looked into the future, or as one theologian puts it, he's not saying that he has looked down the corridors of time, seeing who will believe, and then predestining those people who he saw would believe. That would mean God is learning. That would mean God is submissive to time. That would make time in control of God and disrupt the whole argument of this passage, which is to assure believers that God is in control. That's the whole point. What the Apostle is saying is that those who God knew before, personally, He predestined. In other words, those whom God has set His love upon, He predestined to be united to Christ. Remember in, in Genesis, when Adam knows Eve, she conceives and bears a son. Cain knows his wife. She has a son. This is personal, intimate knowledge. The husband is setting his love upon the wife. 
And so for God to foreknow in this context is for God to know or love an individual beforehand, before the world began. And so for those whom he foreknew, those whom he set his love upon, Paul is saying, he predestined, he predetermined, he chose beforehand. But predestined for what? Predestined for what? The Apostle tells us. To be conformed to the image of Christ. Why? So that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. Colossians has a very similar statement that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he would be preeminent. Another way to phrase this in a more general sense is that those who have the Spirit, true Christians, were predestined to be united to Christ. And then in verse 30, we get what some have called the golden chain of redemption. These are some of the primary benefits of Christ that belong to believers. And they belong to believers because God has chosen to save them all by His grace. The people that God predestined, verse 30, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He glorified. You see, it is all of God, not of us. We are saved by grace through faith, as Ephesians 2 says, and that is a gift. Salvation is of the Lord. So when answering the question, why are you a Christian, the most fundamental answer to that question is, because God. Why are you a Christian? Most fundamental answer. Because God. Not because you're smarter than others, therefore you chose. Not because you're better lovelier, more skilled, godlier, or any other reason, you are a Christian because God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. Salvation is of the Lord. If it was of anything else, grace would no longer be grace. We read from John 6 this morning, an amazing passage. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see John 6, 44, which says that Jesus says, No one can come to me. No one is able. No one has the power to come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And those who are drawn to the Father, John 6.44 says, are raised up on the last day. So this isn't a general drawing. This is an efficacious drawing. That all who the Father is drawing is raised up to eternal life. And no one can come to Jesus in that sense, apart from the Father's drawing. Salvation is of the Lord. We love because He first loved us. Also in 1 John, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. We see here that God's love for us is grounded in His free, sovereign choice to lavish grace upon those whom He pleases. It's not on the basis of our autonomous choice or reasoning. This should be, and this truth should be, a word of comfort. For if it is based solely on the sovereign will of God, we can be assured that He loves us, and nothing can change that. That's not to say you did not choose to follow Jesus. Of course, we all did. But you chose to follow Jesus because He first chose you. We love 
because he first loved us. And also what this does is rid us of all pride. You see, if you think God looked into time and he saw that you would believe and then he chose you, you would have some source of pride, or at least you could have some source of pride. You could say, why did God choose me? Well, I believe I was smarter than the rest because I accepted the gospel. I was humble enough to realize my need for a Savior. But no, the reason you believe is because of God's sovereign free grace that he chose to bestow on you, not because of anything in you that he foresaw, but because of his goodness. You're not owed grace because you believed. You believed because of God's grace. God owes no one anything. If grace was owed, it wouldn't be called grace. It would be a wage. People try to take credit for the smallest things, don't they? Many times we do this. We, we want to take credit for even the very little things that we, that we do or take part in. So it shouldn't surprise us that God was very clear that salvation is all of Him. You know, it's, it's, it's like when your wife's best friend has to tell her that she helped you pick out an, uh, the anniversary gift you got. Trying to take credit for that. You needed a little bit of help. You didn't have to. Or uh, I see it with my kids. They'll say, I'll say, thank you, Aster, for cleaning up. But Grace will make sure she lets me know. I did it too. Even if it's just one little toy she puts out. Everyone wants to take credit for the little, little things. Uh, people want to take credit. They want to look like they had part in a good thing, even if it was a tiny part. But have fun trying to take credit when you acknowledge what Paul is clearly outlining here. Salvation is of the Lord. And so this doctrine of predestination, of election, of those who are and will be glorified are the ones who the Lord has set his love upon before the foundation of the world. This should root all pride out of us should humble you and cause you to tremble at the words of the living God. I love what Moses says to the people of Israel before, as he's preparing them to enter the land in Deuteronomy. He says, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust out the nations before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord has driven them out before you. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. And so it is with us. The Lord says a very similar thing in Ezekiel that we read this morning, when he says, I'm not doing this for your sake. I'm not doing it because you're good. Salvation is of the Lord. Paul will even go on to say in the next chapter, So it then depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. You see, it is not up to you, or anything in you, but of God's grace. For you were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But of God. And so it's easy, brothers and sisters, to resort to our old ways, isn't it? Relying upon ourselves and thinking, we got this. We don't need anybody. When in reality, not only can you do nothing apart from Jesus, as he says, but you are nothing apart from Jesus. You have no source of pride. You couldn't even believe apart from the Lord Jesus. So we should never act as if we deserve his grace. We act as if we deserve his grace when we think things like, why preach the gospel to that person? He will never believe. 
We act as if we deserve His grace when we look down on others for not being as morally upright as we think ourselves to be. We act as if we deserve His grace when we take Jesus and His benefits for granted. We act as if we deserve the Lord's grace when we don't strive for holiness, as it says, for, as it, Hebrews twelve fourteen tells us to do. We act as if we don't deserve His as if we deserve His grace when we are apathetic for the things of God. And so, my friends, understanding that the grounds of God's love is God Himself will free us of all pride, fill our hearts with thanksgiving, and restore us to the joy of the Lord. See, God works, and He has worked on your behalf before the world began. So having seen what this marvelous love of God is rooted in, Paul will now drive the point home so that we can have no doubt of the steadfast love of God in Christ. So let's now draw our attention to verses 31 through 39. It is here where we will see that since God's love for His people never Excuse me. Since God's love for His people never fails, we must never doubt it. We must never doubt God's love. Now, it's almost as if the Apostle Paul stops and takes a breath so you can feel the weight of what he just said. Those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Pause. Now, Paul says... What then shall we say to these things? And what follows is a series of questions. Now, what are these questions? But prior to to, uh, stating them specifically, notice the specificity. He's solely referring to those who God has set His love upon before the world began. And so since God has chosen us to be in Christ before the world began, here are the questions. Who can be against us? How will He not give us with Christ all things? Who can bring any charge against us? Who can condemn us? Who or what can separate us from the love of God in Christ? With all of these questions, you see almost a courtroom setting in which all of God's people are being declared justified. You see, you can't be charged if God has justified you. You can't be condemned if God has declared that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, the one who died and was raised on your behalf. You can't be separated from God's love since He loved you before the world began. Nothing or no one can truly be against you since the God of the universe is for you, since He foreknew you and predestined you. God united you to Christ, and Jesus always lives to make intercession for you, Paul said. There's no possible way to be more secure than that. You see, Paul's logic, essentially, is salvation is of the Lord. Whom shall you fear? Nothing, no suffering, no distress can take any of that away from us. If it is of the Lord, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing that can jeopardize our eternal security and your security on earth, not tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. We see here again that since God's love for us is grounded in His sovereign free choice to lavish grace upon those whom He pleases, 
It's not on the basis of our autonomous choice or reasoning. Since this is true, we can be assured that He loves us and nothing can possibly change that. And it's like if an employee plans on remaining with a company for 10 years, the CEO can frustrate his plans since his assurance would be grounded in himself. If the CEO promises publicly and contractually that the employee will remain with the company for 10 years, the employee has a justified reason to be secure and comforted that he will remain with the company since the assurance is based on the CEO and not himself, the employee. So now imagine if that CEO was incapable of lying or breaking a promise or breaking a contract. Well, our God, Christian, cannot lie, and his love in Christ is grounded in his sovereign free choice. You see, God forbid that this was up to you and your autonomous choice. No, it's God's will, his plan, his choice, and therefore we can all confidently say, I shall never be moved. And now Paul, in verse 36, quotes from Psalm 44, 22, saying, uh, simply to say, essentially, that even in the midst of persecution, in the highest degree, we are more than conquerors. For all things work together for our good. Our Savior, take note of this, our Savior conquered the world by dying on the cross. And so we can be assured that even if we die for following Him, we are conquerors, for we are in Him. And this is why Paul can be sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And notice he says, I am convinced. Earlier in, in 28, he says, we know. Now he's, he's being more personal here. I am convinced, and the verb tense indicates he's, he's saying, I have become convinced and remain convinced or persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. I have been and still am convinced of this truth. Christian, never doubt the power of the simple statement that God loves you. Notice we're not talking here about some general love that God has for all of His creation. We're talking about the specific love that God has for His people. The love of God in Christ. Never doubt the power of the love of God and that truth. I remember an old mentor of mine. Uh, uh, we met we me at Panera in Sarasota years, years ago. He sat across from, as he sat across from me, I was telling him something I was struggling with or sad about. forget exactly, but he, I always remember this. He looked at me, and is all he said, and then we switched conversations. This is all it took. He said, Nick, God loves you, man. That was it. That's exactly what I needed to hear. And whatever I was struggling with immediately went away. I understood. I am loved by God. Christian, you are loved by God more than you can ever fathom. Never forget God's love in Christ. It is your lifeline. It gets you out of bed in the morning. It sets us on our feet. It encourages us when we are low and creates in us the desire for holiness 
and assures us that everything will be okay in the end, no matter what. God loves you in Christ. You see, these wonderful doctrines of predestination, the sovereignty of God and salvation, and anything else Paul has outlined here, were given so that you may know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge. We must never doubt God's love. After all He has done and proven over and over and over again in our lives and in the Scriptures that we read, how could we ever doubt it? How could we ever doubt Him? Do you doubt it because you still sin? Well, that makes no sense because you are still a sinner. And Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Do you doubt it because you were just that bad of a sinner in your past? Well, that makes no sense. We were all headed to hell regardless of just how heinous the sins we committed were. Do you doubt God's love because you have backslided and lost the joy of the Lord? Well, that makes no sense. The Scripture tells us that the discipline of the Lord, uh, it only, it, God only disciplines His children. So if you are being disciplined by God, that's assurance. You see, no argument you can come up with for why God doesn't love you. Christian is invalid. No argument is valid that you can come up with. Since God gets to say, He's the one who justifies, He's the one who gets to decide these things, and He has declared that for all who have believed the gospel, you can be assured that God has set His love upon you and predestined you before the ages began, and therefore nothing can ever separate you from His love. Salvation is of the Lord. And so may you view your doubt as sin, and may we all hate doubting the marvelous truth that Jesus loves us. And how do we know that Jesus loves us? Why, how can we be confident? Because the Bible tells me so. Never doubt the love of the Lord for you. Plead with the Lord that you may know His marvelous love as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. God has loved you before the world began, and His love will never fail, for He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. All of this should resound to the glory of God, filling us with gratitude. For God's love from eternity past and in the present and the promise of His love for all of eternity should cause us to truly smile, fixing our injured souls, mending our broken hearts, giving us the joy of the Lord. God loves you, brothers and sisters, and His love is never failing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your marvelous love in the Lord Jesus. I pray that we would live in light of this truth, knowing each and every day that you love us and have told us you love us. Help us to believe it forevermore. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.